This episode is brought to you by Element. That's L-M-N-T. What's Element? Element is the product that came into my life at exactly the right moment. I've been training hard. I've been sweating like a maniac. But unfortunately, after my sessions, I could never kick that feeling of dehydration. It didn't matter how much water I drank. In fact, the more water I drank, the worse it got. My body was telling me, you need more. You need electrolytes. But I refused to go and buy some sugary sports drink and put that garbage into my body. Enter Element. What's Element? It's a tasty electrolyte drink mix. That's right. I said tasty. They have seven different flavors. My personal favorite is mango chili. But most importantly, it's got no sugar. It's got no gluten. It's got no garbage. There's got no guilt. Take it. You'll feel better. You won't feel like a bum after you drink it. You won't feel any guilt after taking it. To get your element today, go to drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Again, that's drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Get yours today. Welcome to another episode of the Mahoney Advanced Training Podcast. Once again, we're going to be giving you tips and tricks to make you more efficient and effective in the weight room, the boardroom, and on a football field. And, and, we're going to do a recap of this week's Tag Team Challenge. Okay, tip number one. It's an exercise tip. It has to do with the when, the how, and the why of wearing a weight belt in a gym. Now, if you're a pure advanced training guy, you're going to say, Coach, what are you talking about? We, you don't allow weight belts in the gym. You always said, are you going to slap a weight belt on before you pick up the groceries for your mom or your elderly grandfather or your girlfriend or your wife? Are you going to slap a weight belt on before you pick up the, all those cases of seltzer that your wife gets every week? No, that's not what we're talking about, right? And absolutely, that's one of the reasons why we don't wear a weight belt in the gym because we want to properly train our body to have a strong lower back, to have a strong core. And we don't want to wear it in a traditional way where when you're wearing a weight belt, it actually compensates for a weak lower back or it, it it actually takes the place of strengthening of your lower back or your core while you're accepting heavy loads right that's why we normally say not to wear a weight belt but there is a a when like when would I wear a weight belt well if you are max effort back squatting that's one specific time where I would say maybe you want to wear a weight belt but that let's say okay well what's that's the when and by the way we don't even Max effort, let's say any type of squat, max effort back squat, max effort front squat, maybe that's a good time to wear a weight belt. But that's only the when. So, well, well, why? Why, coach? Why all of a sudden are you recommending that I should wear a weight belt when I do a max effort? And by max effort, I mean super heavy weight. We're talking like 90% going to 100% of your one rep max. Well, what's the why? Well, the why is not to support your back so your back doesn't get hurt. The why is because you want to have a mental cue as to how to properly brace your lower back and your core when you are accepting and overcoming this heavy load. And you say, well, well, that's the why, that's great, but what's this how you're talking about? Well, the how means I am not going to wear this weight belt and wrap it real tight, make it really tight around my waist. No, that's not what I want because the intent of the weight belt is not to support your back. What we're doing in this situation, the intent of the weight belt, it should be a little looser than normal almost to the point where it might slip down if you don't push your stomach out and make a big fat stomach to hold it up in place. So the intent of the weight belt is to give you a mental cue to expand your stomach. Remember we talk about sometimes you need a big fat stomach before you squat, right? I want to make a big fat stomach, fill it up with air. This way now I am creating the platform from which I could perform this max effort squat 
front or back, who cares? So let's talk about the how again. I want if I'm wearing a weight belt, I want to make it not as tight as it as possible. I want to leave it just a little loose so that it might slip down, and I'm gonna expand my stomach out before I even pick the weight up off the rack. So now I'm, this way it doesn't fall down at all, and that is the legitimate how. That's the how, and that and tying it all back in. Just another reminder, we're not saying to wear a weight belt because uh, you want to support your lower back and you might hurt your back if you don't wear one. No, that's garbage. That, that is just setting you up for failure. We're wearing it as a mental cue, if we were wearing it at all. We're wearing it as a mental cue to make a big fat stomach as I am about to perform some form of a very heavy back squat. Okay, tip number two, something I am experimenting with. This comes from the great Ben Patrick. He's been posting a lot of this on Instagram. So Ben Patrick is a knees over toe guy. I got introduced to Ben Patrick because uh, my knees, my knee, I shouldn't even say my knee, my my quad was killing me from things we talked about many, many times before. Anyway, all of the work that he has helped, he's shown with uh, to strengthen the VMO, tib raises, it has really, really helped me out. Anyway, going back to what I'm experimenting with, he has an exercise that he's showing a lot of now. It's called an ATG split squat. Now, this is a somewhat PG audience, so I'll let you figure out the ATG on your own. But the split squat part is what I want to talk about. So hopefully some of you have done split squats before, so this makes it a little easier to explain. But just imagine you are already in a lunge position, both feet on the floor. What a split squat is, is if you're in the lunge position, you just drop straight down. Boop, that's what a split squat is. So your feet are split and you are squatting up and down. That's what a traditional split squat is. In our group, we've done things like a Bulgarian split squat where we have our legs split out in a lunge and the back leg is elevated and now that's called a Bulgarian split squat. Now, for the ATG split squats, what Ben Patrick is focusing on, well, what he has going on is he has a plate under the heel of your front foot. That's right, a plate under your heel of your front foot. And instead of just dropping straight down, you're actually driving forward and making your back leg long and straight. So on a, sp a traditional split squat, you drop down and your back leg is it's bent. It's like at a 90 degree, probably smaller than that angle. Now, when you do when you drive your front leg forward that's on the plate, your back leg is completely straight. So that is typical, and what it's doing is it's allowing your front leg to get the knee over the toe. And I'm, I'm keeping it as simple as I can and hopefully as visual as I can for the people that train with us because we've been doing a lot of knees over toes work. It's allowing that front knee to get over the toe by driving my body straight. And that plate underneath your heel of that front leg, it is really helping to get you into that position, especially if you have immobile uh, hips, immobile angles. Now, I'm starting with it body weight, but you could certainly add weight to it. You can add dumbbells on both sides. You can add dumbbells on one side, but I'm starting with it with just just my body. Body weight right now, it, uh, it, it's, it's actually a lot harder than you think, especially, I don't know. Give it a shot. Let me know what you think, but we're experimenting with it. We'll probably be bringing it to a Saturday session soon. Okay, tip number three. This comes from Malcolm Gladwell. He's the guy who wrote uh, Outliers. He wrote Blink. He wrote some great stuff. He was moderating a session at the MIT Sports Analytics Conference, and uh, he, he said something that had nothing to do with what the conference was about. But he said, hard cases make bad laws. I'll say that again. Hard cases make bad laws. So you think about just like, imagine if one day something happens, 
It would probably never happen again. They have no resolution to it. So they put in a law to stop that one thing from happening. But now it's ruined every other thing that could possibly happen in a smooth way in that situation. So I'm going to give you an extreme example. And this is fake, by the way. Imagine if in a restaurant somebody was eating a ribeye steak. And they took the steak knife after they were done. And they went to another table and stabbed someone in the throat and killed them and took all their money. Right? That's and now they say, what do we do? This is a hard case. How do we prevent this from ever happening again? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to put cages around every table in the city so that if you eat with your steak knife, you can't get up and go stab someone uh, after you eat. Right? Now, imagine if this was the case. Right? Imagine if this was the case. Now, every restaurant you went into, if you order a steak, they put you in a cage. You can only eat your food in that cage. Then when you're done, the steak knife has to remain there and you can leave that cage. Just think about that. Just think about that, because how many systems or processes are you experiencing right now that are put in place only, only to take care of that one in a million, one in a billion, I don't know, whatever the number you pick in your mind, scenario where it's highly unlikely, and it's added so much other inefficiency, ineffectiveness, other stress, uh, it's ruined the whole party for everyone because of one specific outlier. So think about that if you are a person in authority. Don't let bad, hard cases make bad laws. I'll say that again. Don't let hard cases make bad laws. Okay, tip number four, something that I have been listening to that's moved me. Once again, it has to go uh, to <laughs> real dictators, and it's, it was episode two talking about Genghis Khan, or Genghis Khan, depending on who you are or what you're thinking about. But one thing that made the Mongol warriors so lethal is that they traveled light, they carried one bag. So these warriors carried one bag with them. And they traveled so light that they could move more quickly than any of their rivals, any army they were going against. And they could get to places a lot faster than the rivals thought they were going to get. So you say, ah, they're uh, four days away by horse. We have four days to prepare. No, you don't. They'll be here in uh, a day. You're not, you're not ready. You can't prepare for them because they travel so light. And if you think about advanced training or if you think about... Uh, I don't know, if you're a football coach, how much time do you set up? I'm thinking about when you travel as a football team. How many things do you bring to that travel game that you probably don't need or don't use? Or when you're setting up your football practice, how many things are you setting up that re you really don't need? What could you do without? So I am a minimalist football coach. I, if you go into my linebacker drills, there's nothing out there. It's me, maybe a cone, and a football. I don't bring out bags. I don't bring out shield. I don't bring out anything because I don't want to take that. I don't want to spend so much time, they quote, quote unquote, dressing the field because that's something else you got to deal with, right? Not only do I have to think about dressing the field before practice, hey guys, go get all the bags, set them up. After practice, hey guys, go put all the bags away, right? You could do, we have human beings out there that could be human shields if we need them to be. So for me, this is my minimalist or maybe my essentialist mindset. I want to travel light. I want to bring as little as possible. And you hear this throughout history of how many armies get bogged down because they're too big, right? The more people you have in that army, the more people you need to feed on your journey, the more people you need to clothe, the more people you need to house and shelter. So the bigger you are doesn't necessarily mean you're better. And I just really loved hearing that these Mongols, that they were super, super efficient in everything that they were doing to the point that it gave them a massive leg up. So, uh, I don't know. Think about it. Think about how you do things. Uh, think about videos that you're watching online of trainers. Some of these drills are sick, but it might take you three hours to set up the drill. So, uh, 
and we're probably guilty of this ourselves when we get to our, t our tough man sessions on the weekends, but think about what you can do to make yourself as lean, not like, yeah, yeah, not as lean, I'm not talking about physically, I mean lean setup-wise as possible so you can be as efficient and effective as possible. Okay, tip number five, this will be the last tip today, a productivity tip. And heck, you could say the last two were probably great productivity tips. But this one is in reference to, again, to the movie The Batman. And the movie starts off with Batman talking about the bat signal. And he sa what he said was, yeah, there's a signal now. It's supposed to be, the intent of it was to call me so I can go talk to Commissioner Gordon about what's going on. But what it turned into, as opposed to a signal, it turned into a symbol. Because I can't be everywhere. I'm speaking as Batman right now. I can't be everywhere all the time. It's turning into a symbol. So now when those criminals see that signal go up, they think I'm coming for them. So now they all think I'm coming for them. Not the guy that's mugging somebody on a street corner or the guy that just committed a double homicide. They, every single person who's, creating a, who's committing a crime at that moment or just committed one thinks the Batman is coming for me. So with this very the symbol up there, he might stop... 20 times more crimes than he would than if that symbol wasn't up there. Because guys see the symbol, oh god, he's coming for me, I'm just going to stop what I'm doing, I'm getting the hell out of here, right? So, what does that have to do with anything else? Well, what symbol can you create that can make you present when you're not even there? Think about your business. What symbol can you create that makes you present when you're not there? It's a mental cue or an emotional cue to the people you're trying to change. How do they act that way when you're not around? Uh, the simplest example that I can think of is just a, I'm thinking of an advanced training t-shirt. We just gave out new ones, by the way, this weekend. White, sick, might be my favorite shirt ever. Uh, my wife says I look good in white. Anyway, so it's a white shirt. It's got, you know, sick red, advanced, sick and red and gray advanced training logo on the front. But my thought is, now these guys aren't around me all the time. Maybe, while that guy's working out wearing that shirt, maybe he's thinking about training the right way. Maybe he's getting a dynamic warm-up in. Maybe he's, break, he's breaking the ball before he bench presses. Maybe when he's doing an overhead squat, he's trying to look just like the guy in that on the logo that we have, or an overhead reverse lunge, right? So th that's the symbol, hopefully, is reiterating the principles of what we want to do at advanced training. And, and think about your own business, your own life, whatever you can do. Can you give your people, your team, whatever... A symbol to help them remind them, to help them to do the right thing or remind them to do the right thing all the time. Not just when you're around and looking at what's going on. So thank you again to the Batman for another good lesson learned. Okay, those are the tips and tricks for this week. Now, we're going to get into this weekend's Tag Team Challenge. So again, we got three teams. We, things are starting to get interesting because we have a lot of people. I'm going to pull it up right now. I'll give you the exact number. But we have a lot of people that are have now been officially eliminated from the head-to-head -head challenges. So the head-to-head -head challenges come after the tag team events. So we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Before this training session, we had seven people that had already been eliminated from head-to-head -head challenges. So it really makes it interesting because if you are a tag team, you need your team to win. You need them to win because you're not going to escape and get points in a head-to-head -head challenge after this anymore because you're not eligible. And why do we need points? Well, right now we have 16 people in the program, and only the top 12 are making the playoffs. So if you're in that bottom rung, if you're in that bottom rung, that's probably anybody from a, a six seed down right now. If, you don't keep, if your tag team doesn't keep winning, 
you might not make the playoffs. So you need to show up, and you need to commit, and you need to excel during these tag team events. Having said that, what was this week's tag team event? Well, fortunately for most, there were no riddles, there were no puzzles, there was no mental games going on. But the only clue I gave them during the week is that they were going to need a grip guy, a sprinter, a lean guy, and a puller, right? That's what they were going to need. So the grip guy, well, let's go back to, let's go to the exercise, then I'll explain what everything is. Let's go to the, sorry, the challenge and explain what it is. So on the field, we have set up a sled with, I think it was 230 pounds on it. And then a 15-foot chain. Next to that chain is a bucket. If you those of you training with advanced training, this is nothing new. It's just a sled pull, but with an insane amount of weight. Then there is a cone about 10 yards away from that bucket. Sitting next to that cone are two sliders. And this is all in a straight line, by the way. Then about 20 yards from those two sliders is another cone with a farmer's walk next to it. And then... At the other end of the field, we're going horizontally across the field, sideline to sideline. There's the sideline and a last cone. So what's the drill? So the drill is person number one needs to lay in front of that sled off the field with their nose right in front of the sled, their full bodies on the ground. They're going to get up and they're going to sprint. So that's the sprinter. They're going to get up and they're going to sprint as fast as possible to the next person who's already sitting down on the bucket. They're going to tag that person on the bucket. That person is going to do a seated sled row. They're going to pull that chain into their body. They're going to get the sled to their feet. They're going to get a clear sign. Then they're going to get up from that bucket and sprint to the next person who's waiting at the sliders. That person, by the way, the person sitting on the bucket, they can't pick up the chain until they're tagged. The next person who's standing at the sliders, he can then step on the sliders once he's tagged and slide himself all the way to the person who is at the farmer's walk. The person at the farmer's walk is then going to take that farmer's walk and walk it off, or sorry, run it off the other side of the field. The total time is the time for the team. Sorry, the the total time is that team's time, and that's it. Lowest time wins. Now, here is the one catch. That grip guy, that grip guy had to hold that farmer's walk the entire time. If he dropped the farmer's walk at all, every second that farmer's walk was on the ground, that was time that was added to their time. So if you help dropped it on the ground for five seconds, well, you're going to add an additional five seconds to your time. Now, this may sound easy. It may sound hard because on the farmer's walk, we only had two 45s, which is very light for us. Having said that, before the workout, before, sorry, before the challenge, we had done a lot of farmer's walks with... I don't know. I don't know what you want to call it here. A 45 and a 35 on each side, which is relatively heavy for what we do. So my thought was, okay, we're going to wear these guys out during the workout and challenge their grip there. So that, that weight at the end is going to be a, a little more challenging than it normally is if you just did the workout without having done the training before it. And what happened was the ground was super slick. So I wanted the seated sled pull to be hard, but because the ground was so slick and guys were killing, they were killing the workout. They were killing the workout. We added all the extra weight to the seated sled pull. So originally in the design, the seated sled pull was supposed to have 245s and 235s. That was you supposed to do in the seated sled pull. And the farmer's walk, you were supposed to hold 245s and 225s. But I just felt like the seated sled pull was so easy, it would have been a joke. And my guess, my hope was that the farmer's walk, these guys' grips would be tired because they would have done all the the training before we did this workout where they were rocking the 45 and the 35 on the farmer's walk and that their hand would be tired. And I thought that by having more weight on the seated row, it would actually take the guy longer to do it. And now this guy at the end is just going to be sitting there for a minute holding on to this thing and he's going to get fatigued.
Okay. Well, planning is useless. The act of planning is priceless because I'm going to skip to part of the punchline here. Part of the punchline here is not one person dropped that damn farmer's walk. Not one person. So I tip my hat to this crew. And, and during, so the way this thing works is that we do very short training before we get to this tag team challenge. So we do very short training. During the training, guys completely and totally, I was floored. I, I feel like I hadn't seen an advanced training workout where so many guys looked so good. Like just quickly off the top of my head, like Pete Baraji looks like he shot out of a cannon. Billy Blanco is holding that heavy farmer's walk that normally in a hundred years we would never have one guy carrying this thing in one hand. He's carrying it like it's like a like a loaf of bread. And we have multiple guys. I'd say maybe 75% of our crew was able to hold this thing with one hand. So it's just we're coming out of a workout where guys looked sick and it really did change the way uh it changed the way that this challenge played out. So we'll get. I'm just going to get back into the punchline because I'm kind of boring myself here with all these details and getting too into my own mind. Well, I'm not really boring myself. I feel like I'm boring you, but I'm really exciting myself with it. Anyway, the first team goes. They only have two guys. So again, there's a, this is a four-legged event. They only have two guys. And one guy has to hold that farmer's walk. So really, that one guy is standing there the whole time while the other guy is doing everything I just said. He's got a sprint. He's got to pull the sled in. He's got a slider. I'm like, well, he's going to drop it. There's no way this other guy is going to do it. So the first group up, it's Shalasi and Hesdra. And this team, if I had to name this team, and I think I said it before, I'll say it again, I would call them the Unreliables. They can never get a full squad there. If they did, they might be the best team. But they can't get a full squad. They've, I don't know, maybe they had it once, but they just can't seem to get all their guys there. They're always undermanned. At least this time, nobody made the soft list, so they didn't have any penalties. But it's just Shalasi and it's Hezra. And they're both really good, but it's really hard for one guy to do all this stuff while the other guy's standing in the whole time holding on to that farmer's walk. Now, Shalasi, he decides, I'm going to do everything but the farmer's walk. Hezra, he's going to be the guy to do the farmer's walk. Hezra, you know, it's cold out, takes off his shirt. He's got like a, a bodybuilding tank top on. I don't even know what you call it, but the guy looks completely and totally jacked up. So, Hezra, you're looking jacked up. Love it. Anyway, he's all tatted up. He's ready to go. He's sending a message. I ain't dropping this thing. So, Shalasi kills it. Like, just kills everything he does. Gets to Hezra. Hezra, bang, he sprints through the end. They finish in about 41 seconds. Now, I thought this thing was going to, in my mind, I was like, this thing's going to take two minutes. How the hell do these guys just finish in 41 seconds? This is insanity. And there are only two guys. So, they go. Next team up is the Junkyard Dogs. These guys just keep winning and winning and winning. Winning and winning and winning. So this team, now, they had a bunch of guys that had things to do. This is not the Unreliables, but now they only had three guys. Now, in my mind, this drill was, I was actually going to set it up for like five guys. This team only has three guys. So now they have to have people do, they have to have one person do two, two, two different things. So, as, as is usual, uh, this this team of Baraji, Marechko, and Jersik, they just kill it. Uh, Tommy, the young blood, the phenom, right? That's Jersik. They they kill it. They finish it in 28.8 seconds, which leaves us now with the last team, the team that won the championship belt last weekend. This is Derrida's team. They actually have four guys. They got Derrida. They got Blanco. They got Wallet, and they got Armado. These are the four guys. So they don't. They have every person be able to do one leg which is a great advantage, right? Because when you're doing two legs, if someone has to do two legs, there is time lost in transition. Uh, there's time lost in fatigue. They go, they do an awesome job, but they finish in 30 seconds. So they lose. Boom. 
And once again, these junkyard dogs win. Now, if you're looking at our standings, the top one, two, three, four guys, the top four seeds, Galli, Baraji, Moresco, Jersic, the Phenom, the Youngblood, right? Those four, Jersic's the Phenom, the Youngblood, by the way, those four are the top four guys in our group. And it's no secret because those te- that team just keeps winning and winning and winning. So now they are the winners. They have to choose two people to go head-to-head. But here's the catch. Of all the people that are left... There's only one person that is not eliminated from the head-to-head challenges. So the, this junkyard jog team, they keep winning so much that the other two teams have been the people being thrown to the wolves in these head-to-head challenges, and they all have their losses now. So now it's really... It, for, <laughs> I'm just giving a hint here. This is not even a subtle hint, and it's extremely obvious. You other teams who are not the junkyard dogs, you got to win the tag team challenges. You have to, for two reasons. One, you need to get those guys out of these head-to-head gigs. And two, you need to make the playoffs. If your teams don't win, you're not going to make the playoffs. It's, it's pretty simple because, again, only the top 12 guys are making the playoffs. So Steve Armato is the only person there and who's left who can compete head-to-head. So we have two choices here. Choice number one, and on paper, on the Constitution, it would be, hey, we're going home. There's nobody left. Nobody can challenge our motto. He lives to fight another day. But now from a motto standpoint, he needs points. This guy wants to make the playoffs. Coming into this thing, he was a 12 seed, uh, and, oh, and he was tied with someone for a 12 seed. He was tied with Strange for a 12 seed, so it was a toss-up as to which one of them would actually get into the playoffs. So he wants the point. Win or lose, he wants the point. You lose, you get one point. Win, you get three points. He wants to go. So normally we just go home, but I don't want to do that, right? And I'm the commissioner. And if you look at our constitution, I'm going to look at it right now. I think it's uh, rule number 15. Yes, rule number 15 in the Constitution is Coach Mahoney can change these rules at any time. So Coach Mahoney decides to change the rules at this time. And he says to the Junkyard Dogs, by the way, I'm talking about myself in third person at this point. (laughs) He says to the Junkyard Dogs, you can, if you want, any one of you can step in, even though you won, and get an additional three, three points if you win against Armado, or you get a loss and one point if you lose against Armado. So remember, they won, they automatically get three points. Everybody else who lost gets nothing. Zilch, nada. Only if you get selected into the head event, head event do you get a point, a three points if you win, or one point if you lose. So Armado's in a situation where if none of them say anything, he walks away home, he gets nothing, and now he lives to fight another day. But he's still now ranked 12th with Strange and still fighting and scratching his claw to way to get into the playoffs. Or one of these guys can step up and put the, a win-loss on their uh, their record. It's, it's a risk. It's a risk here, right? I could jump in, but I might not win. I might get a loss. And now I'm one step closer to being knocked out of this head-to-head competition. So the unthinkable happens. And Joe, I shouldn't even say the unthinkable. It's thinkable because it's advanced training and we compete. It's what we do. It's in our DNA. This is why we're here. This is what this thing's about. We just compete and compete and compete. He says, I'll do it. Very brave move by Moresco. He's already got the three points under his belt, right? He's already got the three points under his belt. Why not get another three more? So cool. So Moresco, he gets, he's going to go against Armado in this head-to-head challenge. First time ever we don't have a, a loser going against another loser. And what's the challenge? We're just going to repeat the same exact drill we did again. So now it's one person doing that drill by themselves. And it's pretty sick. Uh, the, the, more, the more I was thinking about it, it's not a tough man event that we don't really have, but it's pretty close. It's pretty close given the, the length of the field, the amount of time. Anyway, uh, Mamato goes first, and he rocks it in 41 seconds, which is pretty sick because that's how fast Shalasi and Hezra did it. And Armado, he's 
He was in the crew. He's an OG of advanced training. He's on the first ever YouTube video of advanced training. He's been in advanced training for a long time. But he went away for a long time. And he's kind of getting back into the groove. And what I love is, before Amato goes, he takes off his shirt. And I said this yesterday. It was like uh, Groundskeeper Willie. If you watch The Simpsons, hopefully you do. But Groundskeeper Willie on The Simpsons, he always wears a shirt. You don't realize he's jacked up. Amato's been wearing these big hooded sweatshirts. He takes off his shirt. He's got a, also has a tank top on. He looks completely jacked up. He was hiding it under these big sweatshirts. Like, wow, he's setting the tone right now. And he goes in 41.1 seconds. And this is a guy last week who got a lot of kudos for giving his heart and soul and, like, basically breaking down after his, his last challenge. Now he's sending a message like, I'm here, baby. I'm here. Let's go. And it's pretty sick. He goes first. Again, he beats the Shalasi and Hezra team. Then Marechko goes and uh, skip it to the punchline. He beats Armato. He gets 37.2 seconds. So he beats him by four seconds. And Marechko, he's a guy that used to hate sliders. He's a guy that used to stink at the, the sled pull. Uh, you know, his, his grip was pretty good on farmer's walks. But he was a guy that had just struggled to have endurance. And here he is. He blows this thing out of the water. And the best part to me, and this is how I'm going to wrap it up. You know, when you're in these head-to-head challenges, it's kind of like Monday Night Football in the NFL. All your competitors get to watch you at the same time. Right? When you are at work training, some guys are doing their thing. Some, one or two guys might be looking at you. When it's a tag team event, your, your own team is kind of worth training, so they're not really just eagle eye watching you. And what guys were commenting on, because now all the eyes are on Marechko, is how fast he sprinted on that first leg from the sled to the bucket. Man, he got there in like four steps. He just, because he's tall. Right? I guess in the advanced training world, uh, Six foot or whatever Marechko is, six one. I don't know what he is. That's tall in our world. We got a bunch of five eight, five seven Italians from Staten Island, New York, running this thing. So six one in our world is tall. But it's he didn't get there that in that few strides because he's tall. He got there because his running form is impeccable. His running form is awesome. So when he pushes off the ground. He's getting insane real estate. He's so efficient in his movements that it might take you six steps to where it gets him in four. And why is this? Because this guy has been running and perfecting his movement for years. This is not like a, you know, he just showed up to advanced training every Saturday. Like we, we have, we run twice a week, every week. And he's, Joe has been religious in getting guys to, getting himself and getting other guys that he coaches and trains to come sprint with us. And, man, it re- it's paid off. I- watching him run is like a thing of beauty. It- it- I love it. I-, I love watching him run. I-, I love watching him sprint. So it-, it was just great. I'm so proud of him that he was able to-, to-, to get this far. And when you get the admiration of your peers, I feel like there's no better there's no better thing out there than the admiration of your peers. Guys looking and saying, man, that's awesome. How do I do that? Uh, even Billy Blanco said, maybe I should start coming to these running sessions. Billy Blanco, yeah, man. Yeah. I would love to have you at these running sessions because it's going to help everything else you do. And I'm just talking, not talking to Billy Blanco. I'm talking to everybody. Come to these running sessions. There's a golden opportunity, and uh, Joe Marechko showed it live and in person this past weekend. All right, people. So this is where we are at right now. We have eight people eliminated. We have these junkyard dogs who are at the top four seeds. And there's only a couple guys left that can compete in these head-to-head challenges. And I think there's only like seven weeks left in the season before we get into the playoffs. So you got to show up to get points, and your tag team has to win. I feel like the unreliables need to have a meeting and really hunker down. And uh, I, th- 
the other, the other D, your team, you got some good dudes. Again, when you get them all there, not that you've had a struggle with uh, two or three guys there, but when, I think when you get your full core of guys there, when you get your full core of guys there, everybody's got a shot to beat these junkyard dogs. It's just that they they just always show up. That's what this great Coach Mano said. Just show up. All right, people. Enjoy the rest of your week. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Lark Media. Did you ever feel like you had a message that the whole world absolutely needed to hear? You take it, you package it, you bundle it, you send it out there, and then boom, no response. Well, if that's you, don't be disappointed. It might not be that your message is bad. It might be that you're not delivering it the right way. And this is where our friends over at Lark Media can help. These guys are masters of marketing. They've done things for advanced training where they've come in. They've taken documentaries of our work, and they not only captured what it looks like, but they captured what it feels like to be a part of what we do. They've also made motion graphics that we use before and after our YouTube videos. If you need help, please contact Steve at LarkMediaNYC.com. Again, that's Steve at Lark, L-A-R-K, MediaNYC.com. Tell them that Advanced Trading sent you, and they'll take 10% off.